Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. today. We're uh, starting VBS this evening, and we're really excited. Uh, last year at VBS, we had 31 people, if I remember correctly, put their faith in Jesus for the very first time. Adults and kids combined, it was awesome. And so uh, this year, last year, I think we had like 302 or 304 or something like that, because we, we attempted to cap it at 300. This year, uh, we opened it up a little more, and we already have over 380 people, regi- kids registered. So uh, we're expecting God to do incredible things this week, so please be praying for that. My name's Mike Corson. If I don't know you personally, I'm one of the pastors at Grace Church, and just really excited to have the opportunity to share with you this morning. I want to ask you a question today as we get started. Have you ever found yourself lacking something important? Have you ever found yourself lacking something important? When I was, gosh, 17, 18, about 18 years old or so, I had this old Chevy Cavalier, and it was black and had a dented roof, and it was old. And I drove that thing for a few years, and eventually the horn went out on this old Chevy Cavalier. And I figured it was no big deal, you know. I don't have a horn, but how often do you really need a horn? I mean, it's kind of a convenience, right? It's nice to beep when somebody doesn't pull out quickly and they kind of are distracted or whatever, but... I figured, you know, it's not really a big deal to not have a horn, so I didn't pay the money to take it to the mechanic and get my horn fixed. And, and one day I'm in a Walmart parking lot, and I'm driving through the parking lot, and I'm following another car, and he's going through, and he turns, and I go to turn behind him, but he stopped waiting for some people or something. And I was kind of stuck in between, in, in the middle of this parking lot intersection, just waiting for the car in front of me to start moving again. Well, as I looked over to my left, I saw another vehicle approaching, and he's coming toward my vehicle, and as he got closer and closer and closer, I realized that he was driving like this. Like, he's not looking. (laughs) He was looking at the store, like maybe for his significant other or kids or something, and And he continued to roll toward me closer and closer and closer. And I go to beep my horn at this guy. But the problem was I didn't have one. And so I I hit the dashboard kind of frantically a few times. and, And then I look and he's still coming at me. And now he's just a few feet from my car. And so I instinctively, I didn't know what to do. All I knew what to do was to start yelling. So I started yelling at this guy at the top of my lungs, just trying to get, I wasn't angry, I was just trying to get his attention. And finally, at the very last second, I mean, I I was so convinced he was going to plow into my door, he turned his head and hit his brake. See, I had no idea that a horn was so important 
until I was almost hit by another car for lack of one. I didn't think it was a big deal until that moment. I just didn't know how important a car horn was. And church, there is something that we may lack in life that's far more important than a car horn. Something that we can end up going without and not realizing just how critical it was. And that something is a vibrant relationship with Jesus. It's a friendship with God that's rich and alive. Because there is a nearness with God available to us through the gospel of Jesus that is far deeper than any relationship that we have ever known or dreamt of. And the worst thing that we can possibly do is to go through life without it. We're in a series called Psalms, and this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 23. And, we're, and this psalm, I, I've actually avoid, avoided preaching this psalm. It's been 15 years since I've preached this psalm because it is so rich and deep, I haven't wanted to cheapen it. And so this morning, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit led me to finally preach on this psalm, Psalm 23. It's my favorite passage in the entire Bible. David wrote this psalm about a thousand years ago, and I, ima I imagine King David writing this psalm before he was king as a shepherd. And David in this psalm describes a relationship with God that is so incredibly vibrant and deep, the kind of relationship that we so desperately need, but many of us, even many of us as believers, go much of our lives without it. And some of us in this space are online today may lack this relationship with Jesus entirely because we've never really put our faith in the gospel. Maybe we even think we have. That's a common thing. But we've never really put our faith in the gospel. Or some of us have settled for a superficial connection with God and we just really don't know how to have a deep nearness that's available to us. And we're going to see in this psalm some insight into that relationship as David describes it in Psalm 23. And there are four words that have kind of bubbled to the surface for me as I've studied this psalm this week. And those four words that describe David's relationship with God through this psalm are profound dependence and intimate care. Profound dependence and intimate care describe David's relationship with God in this psalm. And so we're going to start off Psalm 23, verse 1, David says this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, in ancient Hebrew culture, people knew a fair amount about shepherding. It was not an uncommon profession. This meant things to David and his readers that we don't automatically see because it's not a part of, for most of us, it's not a part of our culture. And so I learned a fair amount about shepherding this week <laughs> as I studied for this sermon. And, and the first thing that we need to know about sheep is that they're helpless and dumb. <laughs> it's just true. They're helpless and dumb. They're totally dependent on the shepherd. They don't learn well. They're difficult to, to train. They have poor eyesight and poor hearing. 
They're slow. They're helpless when it comes to predators. They're easily frightened and confused. In fact, sheep have been known to plunge off of a cliff in flocks, blindly, following one another. Just walk off a cliff. That's how helpless and dumb they are. And David starts off this psalm by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. See, David is admitting his gross inferiority compared to God. For a shepherd to portray himself himself as a sheep is an incredibly humble position. It's not a statement of shame. It's a statement of humility with contentment. It's not a statement of shame. It's a statement of humility with contentment. Near Eastern shepherds risked their lives to protect their sheep. And David himself, if some of you will remember, he fought off a bear and a lion to protect his. Shepherds did whatever it took to care for and depend and defend the sheep under their care. And sheep, on the other hand, depended entirely on the shepherd. For the, the, the strength and the goodness of the shepherd determined a sheep's well-being. It determined a, a sheep's livelihood. In every moment, shepherd, the shepherd would help to care for, to protect his sheep. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's saying, you sustain me, God, in every way and at every moment. David uses the word Yahweh for Lord in this passage. And Yahweh was the word used for the Israel's covenant God. A God of relationship with his people. In fact, this was the primary difference between Yahweh and other pagan gods. Was Yahweh was a God of covenant relationship with people. And this is intentional because when the authors would use the word Yahweh, it was meaningful. Yahweh cared for his people. Yahweh dwelt among them. He loved them. Yahweh, the covenant God who offers a close relationship with people. So David says, Yahweh is my shepherd. He's describing a close personal relationship of dependence. It's easy to spend our lives without this relationship or, or t- without realizing just how critical it is that we're missing the depth that David enjoyed, the depth of the relationship that God has offered to us through the gospel of Jesus. And David goes on, he says in the second part of this verse, he says, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. The New Living Translation says, I have all that I need. Some of us in this space, some of you have experienced God always providing for every material need. And that's a good thing. Praise God for that. But some some have experienced true lack. Some of us have, have experienced real struggle and scarcity in life. And sometimes we experience lack of material things or lack of relational fulfillment. Because sometimes going without something is what we need. Sometimes going without something is what we need. And when God is our provision, we are satisfied 
even when we go without. When God is our provision, we're satisfied. Even when we go without. When God is our shepherd, he gives us what we need. He doesn't always give us what we want, right? And sometimes what we want feels like what we need. And this is a hard concept because it's as much about perspective as it is about provision. The English Standard Version translates this verse, I shall not want. I shall not want. Because David is utterly content in his shepherd's care. I have a close friend named Jackson, and he is a native Haitian. He lives in Jeremy, Haiti. And I met him about 15 years ago on my first missions trip to Haiti, and we just started a friendship and went back a couple of times after that, and we've kept in touch. And today he's one of my closest friends. He's a, a Haitian doctor. And this past Wednesday, Jackson buried his mom, and his wife gave birth to his baby boy on the same day. His mom was blinded in the earthquake of 2010. And in this land of, of Haiti, which many of you have probably visited, and I know a couple of you are even from there, people die for lack of a $20 medication. And Haiti's in a rough, a rough state right now. Pray for Haiti. But for most of that country, this verse has a very different meaning than it does for us. Perhaps a deeper meaning. Romans 8.28 says, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, whatever we have or don't have, we can trust the shepherd. We can trust the shepherd. And when David says, I lack nothing or I shall not want, this is a statement because God is David's provision. He's satisfied. And when God is our provision, we're satisfied even when we go without. My friend Jackson uh, is a man who's just content with Jesus. I've never known him to complain about what he doesn't have. And he lives in a, a place very different from where I live. But when Jesus is your provision, you're satisfied even when you go without. David continues in verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, sheep won't lie down unless they're free from three things. They have to be free from three, three things. Fear, pests, and hunger. Before they'll lie down. And only the shepherd can take care of these things for the sheep. Only the shepherd can enable the sheep to lie down. So David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He's saying, God is the one who calms my fears, who protects me, who provides for me. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Shepherds lead sheep because sheep can't be driven. You can't drive sheep like cattle. The shepherd goes first, testing the ground before the sheep. The word for quiet here actually literally means restful. He leads me beside restful waters. 
David's saying, like a shepherd, God leads us into places of rest. This is a counter, countercultural for us because God values rest. He doesn't just care about working hard, even though that's important. He's not just interested in what we can produce. He desires that we would have refreshed souls. God wants that for you. I've had Christians in my life, I've heard things like, I'll sleep when I die. Or uh, we, we better be found busy when Jesus comes back. Have you guys heard the, those phrases? And working hard is a good thing. Serving the church and the kingdom is a really good thing. But if all we do is work, if all we are is busy, and we don't establish a rhythm of rest, then we hinder the deeper spiritual formation that God wants to do in our lives. God values rest. Genesis 2-3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The Sabbath was holy because rest is holy. He leads me beside quiet, restful waters. He refreshes my soul. Friends, spiritual formation requires a rhythm of rest. Now granted, there are seasons when we're more busy and sometimes God's in that. But that cannot be the, the pattern of our lives for decades or we are hindering the deeper spiritual formation that God wants to do in us. Spiritual formation requires a rhythm of rest. And this is why Sabbath was a holy commandment because we stunt spiritual development when we fail to rest well. If our lives are characterized by all work and no rest, we may be going without the deeper spiritual relationship that God has offered to us, not realizing just how important it is. He continues, he says, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Some translations say paths of righteousness. I love that. I love that passage. David's saying the paths that this shepherd leads on are paths of goodness and integrity. Paths of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. He leads us there for his name's sake, David says. Because when we choose to compromise, when we choose to walk and make choices that are, are wrong, when we're unkind to people, when we say or text or, or post things on social media that are dishonoring to those with whom we disagree, when we fail to love our neighbor, when we dishonor others, we dishonor the name of Christ. When we choose not to live the way that God has called us to. We dishonor the name of Jesus. He leads me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we forfeit the nearness with Christ that's available to us. Many people go through life missing a Psalm 23 kind of relationship with Jesus. Lack the rich, vibrant friendship that God's offering to us. But church, we're called to live differently for the sake of Jesus. For his name's sake. He guides us along right 
paths. In verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This may be my favorite verse in the entire Bible right here because of the way that it sustained me in my darkest valleys. Sheep are prone to be fearful. And when the shepherd would lead through a dark valley, sheep would get afraid because they they didn't know if there was a predator around. But their sole comfort was the voice of the shepherd. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We go through a lot of valleys in life, don't we? It's a part of life. It's part of being human. Death of people who we love, devastating heart issues, health issues, news that we get that evokes fear in us because we have no idea what the future holds and sometimes it feels like our lives are over as we know it and we just don't know what's going to happen. Pain, disappointment with family and friends, heartbreaking seasons where we pray and pray and pray and and heaven just seems silent. But whatever we go through, he goes with us. He goes with us. And there is purpose in the valley even when we can't see it. No matter how dark the valley, we can trust the shepherd to lead us through. No matter how dark the valley, we can trust the shepherd to lead us through. Why does David fear no evil? The word, the word for in the Bible oftentimes means because. He says, for you are with me. See, the presence of God brings peace. God's abiding presence, his Holy Spirit never fails us. And interestingly, sheep actually learned the voice of their shepherd. And we see Jesus talk about that a little in the New Testament. But see, they won't follow just anyone. Sheep, over time, they grow to trust the shepherd's voice. And they follow the one who has cared for them, the voice who they know. Because no matter how dark the valley, we can trust the shepherd to lead us through. And David knows that. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd's rod was often made of oak because oak is hard wood. It had a knob at one end. And sometimes shepherds would drive nails through this knob in order to make a better weapon to defend the sheep from predators. Shepherds were never without their rod. The rod was used to fight off predators who would try to eat the sheep. And David knew that the God of angel armies was fighting on his behalf. He knew that. And church, he fights for you and me. He fights for us. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, God is our shepherd, and he carries a staff, and he fights for us. Then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Shepherds carried a pouch of oil for anointing their sheep. 
And they used it on the sheep's head to soothe and to heal wounds and irritations. And so anointing with oil for a sheep meant healing. It meant healing for the sheep. And church, we're all in need of spiritual healing. We don't like to talk about it. We don't often think about it. But if you're human, you're wounded. Like we have battle scars from life. Throughout our lives, we experience battle wounds, and there are things in each of our lives that the Holy Spirit wants to heal in us if we'll let him. God wants to anoint your head with spiritual oil. The great healer, the great counselor wants to heal you, to form you more deeply into the image of Jesus. God's also interested in physical healing. He's interested in physical healing. Just the past few weeks, we've been celebrating Pastor Dave, who was diagnosed with these inoperable throat nodules where he would lose his voice forever, this evangelist, no coincidence, and God just healed him miraculously. And we've been celebrating that for about the past month now. You see, God often reaches down from heaven to heal people physically. He does. He loves that. He loves to show his power for the sake of his name. When we pray, we can't just pray for the doctors to have wisdom. That's important. That's important. But we serve a God of miracles. A God who loves to reach down and do things that blow our minds for the sake of his fame and his name. And we believe that he can heal. It should be the rare exception that when someone is sick, we don't pray for and trust God for healing. I remember six weeks ago when we had the opportunity to anoint Pastor Dave in the lobby and pray over him. It was at the, uh, the threefold communion service. I guess that was a couple months ago. And God came through. There were a whole bunch of us all gathered around him, like 30 people, and it was, it was a wonderful moment. And nobody knew if God would do it, but we prayed for it. And church, that has got to be our response when someone is sick. We have got to pray for healing because we serve a God who is interested in healing people. Then he says, my cup overflows. He's saying there's more than enough for me. There's more than enough. This is as much about perspective as it is about provision because I know people who have so much and are never content and I know people who have so little and are joyful in Jesus and they have contentment and they're satisfied. Because a my cup overflows perspective is a perspective of gratitude. There's power in our gratitude. When we choose to be thankful, when we choose to be satisfied, we step into deeper relationship with God. In verse 6 he says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is confident in God's enduring love. He's confident there. He rests in God's sustained goodness. He's not waiting for something bad to happen in his life. He's not concerned that at some point his life will fall apart. No, he's confident in God's enduring kindness. Because God's heart for you is goodness and love. 
Do you believe that? God's heart for you is goodness and love. Oftentimes, we, we, we are prone to get our view of God from our fathers. That may sound sexist. Um, I apologize if it sounds sexist. But it's true. Like, we are prone to get our view of God from our fathers. And, I mean, look at what's happened to fatherhood in our country. It's just fallen apart in, in many ways. And, and many of us, I mean, all of us, we have all had imperfect fathers. We've all been imperfect fathers if we've had the privilege of being a dad. And so we all carry a view of God that is not accurate because of the ways that we've journeyed through this imperfect world. And some of us have been through other stuff as we, as we have walked this life that has painted a view of God that is less than good, less than kind, less than loving. And some of us have even been taught a view of God, a legalistic perspective of God who just kind of wants to punish us if we do things that are bad. But God is not interested in punishing his kids. He disciplines his kids for their good. But God is not interested in, in punishing his children. God's heart for you is goodness and love. God's heart for you is goodness and love. When I was 17 years old, I was driving my Ford Probe, it's another driving story. Some of you are like, ugh, prepare yourselves. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. I was driving my Ford Probe down a street called Ringwood Road, 45-mile-per-hour zone. And, man, I drove that thing like a maniac. I was just, it was horrible. I was a danger to society, literally. And so I was driving this car. I was on my way to a probation meeting, <laughs> running late. That's my excuse. I was doing 99 miles per hour when I went past a police officer in a 45. And that was what he clocked me at. I know because he caught me. And he was going the other direction. And uh, I had developed this habit, if I'm being completely honest here, I had developed this habit of when I would go past a police officer going really fast, I would floor it. And then I would go around a curve or over a hill, and I'd slam on the brakes and turn before he came around the curve or over the hill, and I would get away. It's pretty stupid, but I used to do that a lot. And so I was doing 99 when he went past me the other direction. And this car had a governor on it. It would cut in at 114. I knew that governor well. So I floored it. I'm saying it like it's normal, right? So I floored it. It's a true story, in case you think I'm making it up. And I remember I, I came around this curve and over this hill, and I'm, I'm coming down toward this intersection that I knew really well. And I, I, I felt the governor kick in. I wasn't paying attention to the dashboard, but I felt the governor kick in, so I knew my speed at that moment. And as I came down toward this stoplight, I started to slow down just a little bit, and the, the light was a really fast light. It turned yellow, and then it turned red. And this car came turning in front of me, pulling out. And I went to swerve to try to avoid hitting him. And instead, my car just spun out because I was going so fast. And I, I hit that car from behind. I bounced off of it, hit another car that was parked at the red light. Bounced off that, hit a third car. Bounced off that and, and wrapped my car around a telephone pole. That is how much momentum my car was carrying. And then I came to... 
and I opened my door, I didn't have to take my seatbelt off because I wasn't wearing one. And I stood up, and I said, where's my cell phone? And I had one little scratch on me right here. Cut. It was a cut from the rearview mirror. I was completely fine because the hand of God was protecting me. I didn't know Jesus yet. I wasn't walking with God. I hadn't put my faith in Christ. I was his enemy, the scriptures say. But yet God's hand was protecting me because of his gracious kindness and love. Some of you are wondering, yes, the police officer came over the hill. He came down. He saw me looking for my cell phone. He was actually really kind to me. He only gave me three tickets. He could have given me five different tickets. He gave me three. And God protected me. How much greater his heart toward me now is his child. Like God's heart for you is goodness and love. His heart for you is kindness. When David says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, if somebody says that when, when everything's going well in your life as a Christian, something's wrong, that's not true. That, that is not God's heart for you. Something is not necessarily wrong. Or if you feel like when things are good, man, I'm just, I'm nervous because I know suffering is coming. Gosh, I'm calling foul on that theology. That is a theology about the person of God. And that's not his heart for you. That's not his heart for you. That represents a confused theology about the character of God. Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Romans 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, when it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Suffering is always meant to be temporary. And for the Christian, it's always with a purpose. It's always used by God for our good. God's desire for you is blessing. His desire for you is to delight in his kindness. It's not always material blessing, but he cares. He's good. He's kind. His heart for you is goodness and love. And, and he desires for his people to live in joy and wholeness. And a deeper understanding of God's love is one of the primary means by which we enter into a deeper relationship with Jesus. I have seen people delivered from sins that have, addictions they've had their entire life by beginning to see God more clearly and his love and his care and that he's not out to get you. He's for you. I'm going to show you guys something here. Some of you have been wondering what the heck this is, okay? Don't freak out. You ready? This is a replica. Uh, it's a sword. And uh, on it is Psalm 23.3. In the Passion Translation, it says, Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Psalm 23.3, that's our psalm this morning. 
And when I look at this sword, I have this in my office down the hall on the wall normally. When I look at the sword, it reminds me that like a shepherd with a staff, God fights for me. God fights for me. And church, God fights for you. The good shepherd still carries the rod on your behalf. He does. He carries it and he fights for you. And his primary battle is a battle for your heart. See, because the kingdom of God is not one with a physical army. It's one in the hearts and lives of people. And you're one of those people. And he wants you to love him, to surrender to him moment by moment, to trust him through the valley. God fights for you. He's fighting for your heart and your life. And he doesn't want you to go without this deep relationship that David enjoyed. He's inviting you to press into him like never before. Maybe you're visiting with us today or you've been with us for a long time and and the Holy Spirit is just beginning to reveal to you that you've never actually put your faith in Jesus. You know, faith in Jesus in the gospel doesn't mean that you trust in Jesus' death plus being like doing good stuff, like not living too badly. That's not the gospel. The gospel is just Jesus. So if you have both, you actually have not yet put your faith in the gospel. If you're trusting in Jesus and you're like, yeah, and also to, to get into heaven, to have a, a relationship with God, I also need to, to do the right stuff, at least enough of the right stuff. That's not the gospel. And that means you're, not in, you're, you're outside of the family of God as of yet. But Jesus is inviting you to put your faith only in his death, only in him, and that's it. To say, God, nothing I can do or not do will get me one inch closer to God. It's just Jesus. That he lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death so that you and I could live. And he rose from the dead. And he invites us to put our faith just in Jesus. And so maybe this morning, God is opening your eyes to that reality. That you're realizing you've gone without this critical thing. And you don't want to go without it anymore. This relationship with God through the gospel. Maybe you're in this space and you're just like, man, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm, I believe that, but I don't have the kind of relationship that David describes here and I want it. And God's inviting you to go deeper. Wherever you're at this morning, let's bow our heads together. And let's pray this prayer together. God, we choose to believe the gospel of Jesus, to put our faith in only him. And now this morning, we want to go deeper. This morning, we want to begin walking into a greater depth of relationship with you than ever before. And so, God, if there are things in our life that we're doing that are messing that up, would you reveal it in this moment and give us strength to begin walking in victory? God, if there are are spaces in our our world that need to be changed, God, like we need a rhythm of rest or or we need to, to start doing things that foster a deeper relationship with Jesus, will you lead us in that as our good shepherd? God, we love you today, and we thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.